worship is absolutely so important for us to understand. And, you know, one of my pet peeves as a pastor, and as I look at the church, um, I mean the church universal, you know, we concentrate so much on what happens here on a Sunday morning. And uh, yesterday we were up at the hospital, and um, Dave or Sherry said something, well, you probably need to get back and start getting ready for church. And I said, well, we're having church right here. I mean, we were in the ICU there with Caleb, and, uh, and I was serious. We were having church. Uh, I wasn't preaching. I didn't have my Bible out, teaching from the Scripture. We weren't praying. We were just together. And we were just, you know, I sat there and listened to them reminisce about Caleb and all of the funny things and all of the, the, just, they laughed. You say, how could they laugh in the midst of that? Because they, they remembered, they were remembering their son and, and how much joy he brought to their lives. And David said something, he said, you know, he, he, he quoted what Paul said. Paul says, we are not like the pagans, we're not like those who, who mourn without hope, who grieve without hope. We have hope. We have hope beyond this life. We have hope beyond this world. We have a hope that far, far exceeds anything here. And while we were in there in the ICU, there was, I mean, they, they just took the waiting room over. I mean, there were so many people there for Caleb and the Brooks. that There just literally wasn't room for other families. And... Uh, Thankfully, there you know, weren't a lot of people trying to compete for space because I'm telling you what, they just filled that waiting room up. And I said, you know, they're having church out there. There were probably more people there Saturday night than there was here. I don't know. I wasn't here Saturday night. But whether you were here or there or at your home, it didn't matter. Your thoughts and your prayers were joined with theirs. And when we talk about community and we talk about relationship, the most important sense of community and the most important relationships that we live in and, and, and participate and experience, the most important ones are not necessarily what happens here for two hours on a Sunday morning. It's how you live your life every day. It's, it's being there for somebody who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's being there in their moment of, of extreme sorrow or maybe being there in their moments of extreme joy. But just sharing life together. That's what relationship is about. It's crying with one another. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. I told someone last night, I said, it's okay to be sad. Just don't be mad. Don't be angry. But sadness, sorrow, and grieving is a necessary part. God made us that way. It's not a weakness. It's not something we're supposed to resist and, well, I shouldn't be sad. No, you should be sad. Because we're not going to have the immediate fellowship with Caleb anymore. We're sad about that. But we're not sad because he's with the Lord. We have hope because he's with the Lord. Matter of fact, we, we, can, 
we can rejoice and be sad at the same time. I'm sad that he's not going to be here anymore, but I rejoice because I know out of his own mouth he's in his happy place. And I know that one day I'll be with him. And so will you if you're in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, this is part of doing life together. I always tell people death, death is a hard part of life. And death is part of our life. It's part of our life here on this earth, in this world. Death is all around us. But Jesus has overcome death. He's overcome the grave. He's overcome all of that. Death is around me. I feel the pain of death. But I'm telling you what, I can only feel the pain. It has no power over me. And the sting and the most painful part of death has been taken away in Christ. I cannot be separated any longer from God. That's really what death is. Death is our separation from God. And I promise you, Caleb is not separated from God. Amen? I just want to talk to you about this today. You know, today I was going to talk about community. And in a sense, you know, this is, this is such an important lesson about community. Uh, how we love a family that's going through something like this, how we rejoice with someone who's experienced great joy in their life, or how we cry with them when they've experienced great sadness. This is what relationship, and this is what community, this is what the gospel is about. It really is. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans eight eighteen. You know, in the last, uh, really over the last year, Caleb was diagnosed February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2008. And, and I don't know why, you know, uh, Alma Conzie, bless her heart, went home to be with the Lord um, a couple of weeks ago. And if you've lived in Taylor any amount of time, you know who Alma Conzie is. And if, you've, if you're new to Taylor and you've never, you never had the pleasure of meeting Al McConzie, boy, I'm telling you what, you have something in store for you when you get to heaven. Um, Alma was 95 years old. Somebody, I said Al McConzie to somebody, and they said, who's Al McConzie? I said, you know, the lady that, she was involved in everything. They said, oh, the bread lady? I said, yeah, the bread lady. That's just one of the things that she did. But you know, Alma was 95. She got her hair done on a Friday, went home, and they believe Friday night she died in her sleep. She, and Alma has personally told me before, she said, she said, when I go, what I want to happen, she said, I want to close my eyes and go to sleep on this earth, and I want to wake up in heaven. And that's exactly what happened with Alma. And here Alma was 95 years old, and I went to Alma's funeral. And you know, I didn't hear anybody questioning, well, I wonder why the Lord took Alma. Well, I wonder why God let Alma get sick. Or you didn't hear any of those questions. Because when you're 95, you just expect that, you know, you're living on borrowed time anyways. 
But when you deal with someone like Kayla Brooks, who's 25 years old, you hear a lot of questions. A lot of questions. And you know what? It's okay to have questions. God's big enough to handle our questions. But just understand, God doesn't owe you an answer. He doesn't. And that's not, that doesn't mean God's mean or harsh or uncaring. He, he just doesn't owe you an answer. And, and maybe God doesn't always give us answers because we couldn't handle them. Or maybe, maybe we wouldn't even believe if he told us. I mean, look, look what God has told us. Look what God has revealed to us. And how much of it do we really believe? So you think you... When God gives you an answer to every question you have, you think you're going to believe what he's going to tell you anyways? When, when human beings don't believe the vast majority of what he's already revealed to us. So, it doesn't really matter what the answer is. What matters is who God is. So I want to read... Romans 8, 18. Let's, let's read together. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is, is this fact. This is something that we need to come to know. We need to remind ourselves of this fact. Earth is not heaven. Can I hear an amen? Earth is not heaven, and heaven is not earth. Earth is not heaven. So we need to stop trying to make earth heaven, because earth isn't heaven. It's not. Romans 8.18 Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Have you ever thought about that? That creation has an expectation it does. That's what the scripture says. And the earnest expectation of the creation is the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God allowed creation to be subjected to the corruption that sin brought, but he allowed it to be subjected in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Now right there in verse 21, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious Liberty of the children of God. So, what does that imply about the creation? Is it delivered or is it in bondage? It's in bondage. The creation itself also, that also says that it's going to be delivered along with something or someone else. It shall also be delivered. 
from what? From the bondage of corruption. So the creation is in bondage to corruption. How do we know that? Because if it wasn't, you would not experience death. Your plants wouldn't die from the 100 degree plus heat. Your grass wouldn't die. Your cars wouldn't break down. Your bodies wouldn't break down. Those things wouldn't happen. What we call the cycle of life. Things are born, things die. There would be no death. But there is death because there is corruption. Because it is corruption that brought death. And when was that death brought? When did that corruption occur? It occurred in the beginning. God created a world without corruption, but sin brought corruption in. And along with that corruption came death. And death has now been in and a part of, and this corruption is a reality in the creation since the fall until now and until this created order this temporal order is no longer as long as this creation as long as this world the first creation as long as it exists there will be corruption and it's in bondage to corruption verse 22 says, for we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. I want you to notice something there. Do you, do you see the hope that Paul is speaking in these verses? Do you notice that Paul didn't say, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors in pain because it's sick and corrupted? No, he says... The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. Now, I, I've never given birth to a child. Aren't y'all glad? Y'all would have some really major questions for me if I had. But I haven't. But my wife has. My wife has. And, and, and I was there with all three of my children when they were born. And though I did not feel her pain, I was thankful that I did not have to. Because I, I could just tell it was painful. But along with that pain, there was hope. With that pain, as intense as it may have been, there was an expectation and there was a hope. That as a result of this pain, something wonderful was coming. And the pain, the pain was a, a signal, a message that something hopeful, something of great expectation was coming. And there was an expectation that the pain would not last forever, but the pain was only temporary and the pain itself spoke of a hope beyond. That's why Paul says the creation, the whole creation, groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, he says, but we also who? We who have the first 
fruits of the Spirit. Now, why does he, why does Paul distinguish us from the whole creation? Look what he says. Are you with me, church? For we know that the whole, H-W-H-O-L-E, the whole creation groans and is, is in the pain of giving birth. And we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So here I am, in Christ. Am I, what, what creation am I of? Am I of the first creation or the new creation? If you are in Christ, what creation are you of? You are of the new creation. The spirit within you is of the new creation. But there's a part of you that's groaning along with the whole creation. And what part is that? It's this flesh. Because this flesh, is it of the first creation or the new creation? It's of the first creation. This is your earth suit. Just like if we were on the moon, we'd have a moon suit. This is your earth suit. When you get home, you're not going to have the earth suit anymore. Why? Because earth's not your home. Just like if we were astronauts on the moon, when we get home, we take our moon suit off, don't we? Because we're not on the moon anymore. The moon's not our home. We were just visiting. Why can't we understand that that's reality for the believer? Earth is not our home. We're living in an earth suit. But the spirit inside of me is not of this creation anymore. It is of the new creation. And it's only living, being housed inside of this earth suit. And when I go home, somebody said yesterday, they said, I wish Caleb was going to be at home waiting for us. I said, he is. He is. But see, it's hard for us to think in those terms because we're so tied to this earthly realm. We're so tied to this temporal realm. We're so dictated and, and tossed and pulled because of this flesh. And because of the, the mind that wants to revert back to the flesh and the old man. But, but that's not who we are. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Housed in an old creation. And the old creation is still groaning. And the old creation is still waiting to be adopted, to be redeemed. For we were saved, verse 26, for we were saved in this hope. In what hope? In the hope that even our bodies shall be redeemed one day. How do we know that's going to happen? Because the body of Jesus was redeemed. Jesus didn't rise spiritually his was not a spiritual resurrection his was a literal physical bodily resurrection but it wasn't the same body he was buried with it wasn't the same body that he walked around on the earth with he was raised in new life just like we have been raised in new life our spirits I'm telling you what, your spirit will never be any more resurrected than it is right now. Your spirit will never be any more alive than it is right now. 
your spirit will never experience any more glory of God than it experiences right now. If Christ is in you, he's all in you. All the glory, all the majesty, all the splendor, it's in you. And your spirit knows it. It's just that your mind doesn't know it and your body can't identify with it. Why? Because your body's still corrupt. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Why are we hoping for something if, if, if it's here? If we can see it and it's here, I'm not hoping for it, am I? Hope that is seen is not hope. One doesn't hope for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Look at this. Look at verse 25 right there. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. See, if we try to make earth heaven, then we begin to think that heaven is supposed to conform to what we see. Heaven is supposed to conform to what we can touch and what we can feel and what we can experience as part of this created order, the first creation. But earth was never meant to be heaven. Now, I don't care what any of the theologians say. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't experience heaven on earth, but heaven on earth doesn't mean everything's going to go the way I want it to go. Heaven on earth means Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ didn't wait for you to get to heaven one day to inhabit your temple. Christ says, I'm coming to you. Remember, we talked last week about an attractional versus an incarnational ministry. We shouldn't be about trying to attract people to us. Jesus said, go. Go and get them. Go to them, just like I came to you. Jesus didn't wait to inhabit us. When we got to heaven one day, he came to us. We experience heaven on earth. Why? Because Christ lives in me. Not because I live to be 95 and I went to sleep and woke up in heaven. Or not because I have more money than the next person or I have a better quality of life than the next person. That, that has nothing to do with it. Please understand me. It has nothing to do with it. But Christ in you has everything to do with it. Say, so, yeah, but you know, Pastor Jeff, the psalm says that he promises long life to those, you know, who, who love him or fear his name or walk in his ordinances. And, and he does. He has promised long life. It's so long, it doesn't have an end. It's called eternal life. I mean, do you think, you think Alma Kanzi, because she lived to be 95, had a long life? Compared to what? Compare 95 to eternity. 95 starts looking pretty short. Matter of fact, you compare 25 and 95 to eternity, there's not really any difference between 25 and 95 compared to eternity. There's no difference. The long life that's promised is the long, it's the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. What about Jesus? He was only 33 when he died. Well, I guess he didn't fulfill, I guess God didn't keep his promise. To his own son. Mm -mm. You see where we go with these theologies? You see where they start to get us into trouble? 
We start quoting Scripture and reading Scripture and we think, hmm, well, gosh. See, don't even go there. Because you're, you're trying to make earth heaven. You're trying to bring heaven down to earth and you're trying to make earth conform to heaven. You're trying to make this corruption conform to the heavenly and it's impossible. It can't do it. That's why this corruption will pass away. It's corrupt. It's dying. It's passing. It's temporary. Amen? If we hope for, or if we hope in what we do see, you know what's going to happen? We're going to become discouraged. Because we're never going to see this corruption become heavenly. We're never going to see anything of this earth conform to heaven. That's why Jesus said, you need to be born again. He didn't say you need to work real hard to get better. He didn't say you need to pray longer and harder. Then I'll love you more. Then maybe you'll have a spot guaranteed in heaven with me. He didn't say that. Because it wasn't about that. It's not about how hard we try. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how bad we are. It's about our nature. You know why I have to be born again? Because in my first birth, in the first creation, I'm of this corrupt, created order. And there's nothing of this first creation, there's nothing of this first order that will inherit the new creation. It's all got to die. Even this flesh will die. It will die figuratively and literally both. I am crucified with Christ right now. But yet my flesh is still walking around, animated, taking in oxygen. It's alive, but yet it's dead because it's been crucified with him. The reality of that death will be seen one day because this, this corruption will put on incorruption. This earth suit will fall away. This mortality will put on immortality. The earth suit's coming off. One way or the other, it's, it's, it's not going to inherit the new creation. It's not going to. See, what we do see around us, what you can see is corrupted. You see this body, it's corrupted. Can you see my spirit? You can't see my spirit. You can know I have a spirit. You can see the fruit of the spirit in me, but you can't see the spirit. Everything we can see that's of this earth, guess what? It's corrupted. So don't put your hope in the things of this earth. Stop trying to make this earth become heaven because it ain't going to happen. And the harder you try and the more you want it to happen, the more disappointed you're going to be. This is why our hope is in the unseen the eternal, the spiritual. We wait for that. We wait for that, not this. This is already here. Why are you waiting for what's already here? Why are you hoping for what you already have? You've already, you already have life here on this earth. You've already got life in this world. Do you really want this life? You really want this existence to last forever? 
No, you don't. I don't care how good your life is. I don't care how, how pleasant it is. An eternity here, that's like hell. I believe it was my brother, Rick Troutman. I don't know if it originated with Brother Rick, but Rick made a statement to my sons, and they told me, and it stuck with me. He said, for those people on earth who, who don't know Christ, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. But for us who are in Christ, who are of the new creation, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. I like that. I like that a lot. This is as close to hell as I'll ever get. It's as close as I want to get. If Jesus heals, why is there sickness? Jesus does heal. But just because he doesn't heal how and when we think he should, that doesn't change the fact that he heals. How do I know Jesus is a healer? I've seen a whole lot of people get sick and die. I've seen a whole lot of people get sick and be healed. How do we know Jesus has healed us? Do you believe you're waiting to be healed or do you believe you are healed? So that's a valid question. See, I believe I am healed. Now, that doesn't... I'm not, I'm not saying I don't have a pain in my back. I'm not saying I'm not struggling with chronic conditions in my body. You know, those things all may be true. Some of you here today may be struggling with pain in your body, chronic conditions that are, that are robbing you of your good health. So what are you telling me, Pastor? Are you telling me that I'm healed anyways? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Does that mean then I should just throw my medicine away and not go to the doctor? Well, that'd be kind of foolish if you ask me. Because I personally think God uses doctors to heal people. But I'm going to tell you what, you can be like Alma Kanzi, never be sick a day in her life. And as healthy as you may be in this world, one day you're going to go to sleep and you're, you're going to wake up on the other side. Why? Because sooner or later, in the grand scheme of things, this body's going to wear out. Why? Because it's corrupt. It's of the corrupt order. Barring the return of Jesus while we're still alive on planet Earth, your body's going to go the way of everybody else's. And, and if you don't, if your body doesn't go by way of the grave, then you're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. But one way or the other, this corruption ain't going with you anywhere. It's going to stay right here. So we begin to question why everybody on earth doesn't get healed and how and when we think they should. When we begin to do that, you know what we're doing? We're trying to make earth heaven and it is not this is not heaven here's another question I heard quite often why do people that don't deserve to be sick get sick there's so many evil people out there doing evil things why don't why don't God make them sick why does God let the good people get sick why does God let the good people die why do the evil things happen to good people, first of all, 
Who are we to say who's deserving and who's not? It's not about whether it's deserving or not deserving. That, that's not even the question. I don't have to remind you what we all deserve. Do I? Do I have to remind you what the Scripture says we all deserve? And it's much worse than sickness. Go to Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 1. See, because good and evil doesn't have anything to do with anything. God doesn't care about good and evil. That may be a shocker to some of you, but He doesn't. God doesn't judge anything by good and evil. God doesn't look at people in terms of good and evil. He looks at things and judges things in terms of life and death. Redeemed and not redeemed. If you're in Christ, you're in life. Therefore, you can have a relationship with God, not because you're good. You didn't get a relationship with God because you weren't evil. You came into a relationship with God because you are in His Son. And His Son is the only person that can have a relationship with the Father. That's exactly what Jesus meant in John 14, 6 when He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Why? Because there's only one man that can have a relationship with the Father. That is the man, Christ Jesus. And if you're not in the man, you are not going to have a relationship with the Father. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how spiritual and religious you think you are. You're not going to have one. I don't care how evil or corrupt you thought you were. That's not going to keep you from having a relationship with the Father because if you come into the Son, you are in relationship, period. And so God doesn't see good and evil. He only sees life and death. That's it. And God has no fellowship with that which is death. That's why God told the children of Israel, don't, don't mess with dead things. Dead things are an abomination to me. And you can't even come into the camp if you've been messing with dead things. Why did God do that? It was much more than biology and personal hygiene. God was sending a message that I, I, I am totally, completely separated from that which is dead and I will only deal with that which is life. So if you're in the sun, good news is you're in life. Amen? So it's not about good and evil. It's not about what people deserve or don't deserve. In, in Matthew 13, it says, There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. So at the, what had happened at the Passover, Pilate had these Galileans killed, and then he took the blood of the Galileans and, and mingled it with the blood of the sacrifice to desecrate that which was holy. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. See, God's not looking at degrees of sinfulness. He's looking, are you in the sun or are you not in the sun? And bad things don't happen to people because God says, ooh, they are bad, bad, bad sinners. I think I'm going to make that tower fall on them. Well, these Galileans, they're really, really bad, so I'm going to let Pilate kill them and mingle their blood with... No. No. Why did the tower fall? Gravity. Does that make gravity evil? No. 
Gravity's really our friend if you know how to operate in it properly. If you abuse it, it's not your friend. Go f try flying off the top of this building. You'll find out real quick, gravity is not your friend. But the fact that I can walk around here, gravity is my friend. Gravity is helping me right now. So why did the tower fall? It fell. Gravity. Maybe someone didn't build it right. What about those 18 that were there? Why was it those 18? Because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Did God know it was going to happen? Sure, God knows everything. Did God make it happen? I think, obviously, from what Jesus said here, no, God did not make it happen. Did God allow it to happen? Yeah, he allowed it to happen. Just like if you try to jump off that roof and fly, he's going to let you hit the ground. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean you're a worse sinner. Might mean you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> but it doesn't make you a worse sinner. Like Dave said, the package ain't wrapped too tight. Need a little more tape around that thing. <laughs> you might not be wrapped as tight as the rest of us, but God still loves you. Jesus addresses the fact, hear me church, the fact of suffering in the world. Suffering is a fact in this world. Why? Because this world is corrupt. And this world is passing away. You know what that means? It means the corruption is passing away. The baby is coming. The birth pains, the closer that baby gets, the, the worse the pains get. But the worse the pain gets, that means the closer the baby is to being here. And when the baby comes, hope springs eternal. Amen? God never promised to give only good lives to good people. Because why? Because there are no good people. How do we know? Because Jesus said that in Luke 18, 19. There's only one good, and that's God. That's why we can only come to God who is good through one person. And that one person is His Son, Jesus Christ. He never even said that his redeemed people would only experience the good and never the bad. But he did promise his redeemed people tribulation in this world. How's that? Well, we don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. This world, this earth, it's not heaven. It's not we have the hope and the promise of heaven, though. Not in this earth, not in this world, but in what is to come. And why do we have that hope? And why do we have that promise? Because Jesus overcame the world. Why can we rejoice when a saint goes home to be with the Lord? Because Jesus overcame the world. It doesn't matter how young or how old they are. They are no longer in the bondage of this corruption. So what does that mean? Does that mean we should just live our lives waiting to get to heaven one day? And to heck with everything else? Absolutely not. See, we should live our life here on this earth knowing with the understanding, with the revelation that I am a redeemed being living inside a corrupt body in a corrupt world, but the redemption and the glory that is in me 
will be, shall be revealed one day, and that the very creation waiting around me, existing around me, it is waiting for the revealing of the glory which is in me, which is Christ. And that glory shall be fully revealed one day when all the corruption is done away with. But it is being revealed right now. How? It's being revealed by the fruit of the Spirit in me. See, in times like this, this is when the company of the redeemed, though they are saddened, though they are going to miss their loved ones, this is the time when the company of the redeemed should walk in the fruit of love, in the fruit of joy, in the fruit of peace. Even in the midst of our storm, we can have peace. Because Jesus said we could. I didn't say that, Jesus said that. And even though I am a redeemed being, living in an unredeemed body, the fruit of the redemption in me should be manifest through me. That's, that's exactly what God wants. That's why, let me go back to what I started with in the beginning, that's why relationship and community is so absolutely important. Because it's in the context of relationship and community that the fruit of that spirit in me, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it's within the context of relationship and community that that fruit is made known to the world around us. It's why Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Not by how righteous you act. Not by how religious you may seem. No, by the love that you have for one another. Love must be, is designed to be, has to be manifest within the context of community and relationship. That's why in times like this, that's why the Bible calls us a body. We're connected whether you like it or not. And when one part of the body hurts, the scripture says all the rest of the body feels the pain. And that's why we come together in community and in relationship. And we allow the Spirit, that redemption in us, that which is not of this created order. We can't see it. There's corruption all around, but we have a hope beyond what we can see. We have a hope beyond what we can feel. We have a hope beyond the pain and the suffering and the sorrow. And how do I know? Because of the Spirit in me. Because of the Spirit in me. And that hope should become manifest through my life. And that hope should be manifest in the body as the body works together, lives together, functions together in community and in relationship under the headship, the one head, which is Jesus Christ. I want to read a psalm to you. Psalm 73. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel. To those whose hearts are pure. Now let me stop right there. Whose hearts are pure today? Be holy as your God is holy. Is that humanly possible for you? No. 
You know who's holy and whose hearts are pure? Those who have been crucified with Christ and now have come to find their life in the Son. You know why your, your heart is pure? Because the heart of the Son is pure. You know why you're holy? Because the Son is holy. Because here's what John said, as he is, so are we in this world. So you've got to quit looking at this flesh. There ain't nothing holy about this flesh. There's nothing pure about this flesh. That's why don't put your hope in what you can see. Put your hope in what you can't see. I can't see my spirit inside of me, but I know it's there. And I know my spirit in me is as pure and as holy as the Son of God himself. How, how do you know that, Pastor Jeff? Because that's exactly what the scripture says. And, and I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to believe what the scripture says over what my mind tells me, over what any man tells me, over what my feelings tell me. I'm going to believe the scripture because Jesus said this scripture, this word is the only thing. His word is the only thing that won't pass away. Everything else is going to pass away. He said your heart is wicked and deceptive above all things, so I'm not going to trust my heart. Because when I hear John say in his letter, as he is, so are we in this world. My heart says, no, boy, God doesn't know me then. Oh, no, he does. He knows that I've been crucified with his son, and he doesn't see me anymore. He sees the son in me. He sees the spirit that has conformed perfectly and become one with the spirit of his son. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. That's you if you're a new creation today. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. And in their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever asked those questions in your heart? If you haven't, you're not human, okay? Did I keep my heart? Look, look, look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Verse 33, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people, God. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. 
I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed, must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. I love what the New King James says right there. It says, you guide me, you take me by the hand, and you lead me according to your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength, the rock of my heart. He is mine forever. And those who desert him will perish. Who will perish in the end, church? Only those who are not connected to the vine. Only those who are not in Christ. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. One last scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Church, earth is not heaven. So don't try to make it what it can't be. Second Corinthians 4.16 Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, there is the contrast between the unredeemed and the redeemed. The outward man is not redeemed yet, but the inward man who is redeemed is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Why? Because they're temporary. But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. Sickness, suffering, tribulation... Those things that we can see, they are temporary. They are not eternal. This earth that we can see all around us, this earth is temporary. This earth that is not heaven. But he says, look at the things which are not seen. Look at the things which are eternal. What is that eternal thing that the scripture tells us to look at? Looking unto Jesus who is the beginning, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Look at the heavenly that is not this earth. Look at the heavenly that is not of this world. That eternal perspective should make us much more effective as we live in this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And if we live in this world with that perspective, understanding the things we see are not the things we put our hope in, even our very bodies, 
we begin to live with a perspective that will help us transcend the corruption that is around us. Amen. We have a hope in Jesus. Greater, greater, greater than anything we can see in this world. Greater than anything we could ever experience in this life. The Brooks family, they understand that hope. Doesn't mean that they're not going to grieve and they're not going to have their moments. God helps us work through our grief. So don't, you know, when you encounter someone who's gone through a tragedy such as this, don't feel compelled to have an answer for them. Don't feel compelled to, to give them all the refrigerator scriptures that they already know. Just be a shoulder they can cry on. The greatest thing you can say is, I'm sorry, and I love you. And that's really all you have to say. Because I promise you there's not anything, nothing you can say that's going to make them feel better. There's nothing you can say that's going to make someone in that situation be more comforted because you can't change their situation. But the fact that you love them and the fact that you can identify with their grief and with their sorrow is great comfort in and of itself. And as much as you care for them and as much as you're concerned for them, I promise you God is more caring and God is more concerned. And God, through His Holy Spirit, knows how to walk them through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows how to get them to higher ground. He's got a table all prepared for them. I'm telling you what, that psalm is not talking about heaven. I know we read it every, just about every funeral I've ever been to. There's a 23rd psalm. That psalm is not about getting to heaven one day. That psalm is about living life right here on planet earth. It's about the reality that in this life we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But God knows how to get us through and God always has higher ground for us. God always has a table prepared for us even though we walk through suffering. Amen? And remember, earth is not heaven, so don't try to make it that. Stop looking at it that way. And know that you have a hope, a hope beyond this earth. Amen? Let's just pray right now. Let's just agree together for... Dave and Sherry and Katie and Dana and that whole family. Father, we lift up this family to you, Lord. And Lord, uh, we can truly say we love them. Lord, we love them with all of our hearts, but as much as we love them, as much as our hearts hurt with theirs, Lord, I know that your love for them is so much greater than what can be humanly comprehended. And Lord, honestly today, Lord, the last thing I want is an answer because I don't really have a question for you, God. Lord, I'm just so thankful that I know where Caleb is. I'm so thankful that this family knows where their hope is. And Lord, they know their hope's not in this earth. It's not in anything of this temporary order. But Father, even in the midst of that reality, Lord, there is a separation that's taken place. And Lord, we pray that you would be their peace, and that you would be their comfort. 
and pray, God, that you would just help us. Help us, God. Deliver us from being people that feel compelled to have all the answers. Please, God, deliver us from that. And just help us to be shoulders that they can cry on and, and arms that can embrace them and, and just surround them with love. Lord, help us to be sensitive. To not get our feelings hurt if they don't feel like talking to us or if they don't feel like visiting with us. Lord, help us to be mature men and women of God. Help us just to be an expression of you, Lord Jesus. Lord, in our presence more than our words. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the faith of this family. And I thank you, Lord, that they have many, many people around them. Lord, people of great faith. And Father, I just, I'm just so thankful, Lord. So thankful, God. Lord, that if we have come to faith in Christ, Lord, we have the promise, the absolute promise that when we leave this earth, God, we are in your presence. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're thankful today, God. We rejoice today that Caleb is present with you. And I pray, Father God, you make that hope so real to each and every one of us, and especially to his family, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in the hope of the Lord. Amen. Let people know there's a hope. Don't despair. Be hopeful. And uh, we have life group leader meeting tonight. Um, so you guys come at 6 o'clock. Is that correct? 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll give you... Um, Oh, there it is, right there. Tuesday at 10 a.m. God bless you.